let's just give attention to the word this morning. John chapter 19 and beginning with verse number 38. John chapter 19 and beginning with verse number 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Christ and bound it in stripes of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. This morning, for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, the burial of the body of Jesus. The burial of the body of Jesus. The burial of the body of Jesus. Now, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your many wonderful blessings that you've bestowed upon our life. And Lord, we just ask you that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our hearts, that we would hear your word and everything that's said and everything that's done would bring you the glory. We pray, Father, that your word would go forth in power and boldness, and we won't forget to praise you for this. And everyone shouted a great big amen. We are in a sermon series called Rethink Easter, and I said a few weeks ago, every Sunday till Easter, I'm going to be preaching on the events that surround the Easter story. Do you remember the first Sunday I preached on the three crosses? And we learned how we can see ourselves in those crosses, those people who were there. Last Sunday, I preached on the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden of Gethsemane represented the place of pressure in our lives and how each of us can experience a place of pressure. And today I'm going to deal with the burial of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday we're going to deal with Palm Sunday and the, the events that surround Palm Sunday. Good Friday we're going to deal with the death of Christ. And then Easter Sunday morning, we are going to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. So what I'm trying to do, and hopefully you understand this, I'm trying to pick out the events of Easter and walk you through the events of Easter so when Easter is over, you have a general overview of the events of Easter. We've looked at the cross, we've looked at the garden. Today we're going to look at the burial of Christ, Good Friday. We're going to look at His death, Palm Sunday, we'll look at that. And Easter, we will celebrate His resurrection. Now listen, sometimes during the Easter season... We hear these stories over and over and over, but we're not actually listening. And because we're not listening, we miss the things that God is trying to tell us through the story. We become so familiar with the story that our hearts are not open to listen to what God wants to tell us. So I want you to open your heart this morning. I want you to listen to these stories. I want you to rethink these stories. And I want you to see what God wants you to see in this story this morning. It could be absolutely life-changing. Listen, as I am studying the events that surround Easter, my life is changing. I'm going from glory to glory to glory because I am seeing things in the story that I've never seen before, and I have read the Bible and read the Bible, but yet that's how the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth to you. There is one revelation, but many 
applications and many illuminations of the one revelation that is given to us. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will give you many illuminations and many applications of what is set before us today. Oh, what I want to do, I want to unpack this story and I want you to see yourself in the burial of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Easter season, in the Easter story, and the events that surround Easter, we celebrate the death of Christ. And Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But little attention is given to the actual burial of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. How many songs do we sing about the burial of Jesus Christ? Not very many. How many sermons have you heard on the burial of Jesus Christ? Not very many. All of, I started preaching when I was 12 years old, and I don't know if I've ever preached an actual sermon on the actual burial of Jesus. I've preached on His death. I've preached on His resurrection. We've celebrated those events. But what about the burial of Jesus Christ? Why do we focus so much on the death of Christ? Because it is in the death of Christ that there is payment for our sin, and not only our sin, but the payment for the sin of the world. We focus on the resurrection of Christ because it is in the resurrection of Christ that we have victory over sin. We have victory over death, hell, and the grave. So we celebrate the death. We celebrate the resurrection. But when it comes to His burial, not much, not much is mentioned. We vaguely mention it on Good Friday. But we focus upon the seven words from the cross. We focus upon the crown of thorns, what they did to His back. We focus upon the betrayal of His disciples. We focus upon Him hanging on the cross. We focus Him dying, but do we ever pay close attention to the two men that took His body down from the cross and stuck His body in the grave? You see, there's not much attention focused on the burial of Christ. But ladies and gentlemen, I can't help but to teach you and preach to you that in the story of the burial of Jesus Christ, it holds great truth for you and it holds great truth for me. I think what we need to do this morning is that we need to rethink the story of Easter. We need to rethink the burial of Jesus. Let us just not look at it as words on the page of the Bible. Let us just not skim over it, but let us look at it intently and let us see what the Spirit of God, who is the author of the Bible, wants to tell you through the pages of the Word of God. Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. You see, when you come to the Word of God, you can't just read the Word of God. You've got to open your heart and you've got to let the Spirit of God bring life to you and bring illumination to you. And that's what I pray the Spirit of God does to you this morning. I pray the Spirit of God would bring illumination about the burial of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul made a very significant uh, statement concerning Jesus. The Bible says this, and I quote, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, it is behind me, and I quote, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast, that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I've delivered to you first all that which I've received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you know what the Apostle Paul was saying? The Apostle Paul was saying, I delivered to you the gospel. 
And do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is his death the gospel is his burial, and the gospel is his resurrection. You can't understand Easter if you just focus on his death. If you just focus on the resurrection, you've got to hone in to the burial of Jesus. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. If this wasn't important, the Apostle Paul would have just read it like this. For I received that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and that he rose again. But he didn't say that. Right in the middle of this scripture, he wanted to make sure that the Corinthian church was aware that the gospel is threefold. The gospel is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This morning, I want you to rethink Easter. I want you to rethink the burial of Jesus. And I want you to see those men taking his bloody, bruised body down off of the cross, wrapping it in linen cloth, and laid it in a borrowed tomb. But the story don't end there. An angel came on Sunday morning, rolled back the stone and set upon it and said, he is not here for he is risen. For you to understand the gospel, you've got to understand that he is dead, that he was buried and that he was resurrected on the third day. I only have two points this morning. The first thing I want to look at, I want to look at the bodies of criminals, the bodies of criminals. In other words, I want to look at ancient history and I want to look at how they buried people in the Jewish world. We know according to scripture that Jesus was crucified by Roman authority. By the Roman authority, he was crucified. You see, Rome had oppressed the Jewish people in their own land. It's kind of like Russia uh, 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 invading our territory and we're living in our we're living in America, but answering to Russia. We're oppressed by them. It's kind of like the same thing. The Jewish people was in their land. They were worshiping God, but they answered to Roman authority. And you see, Jesus was not necessarily killed by the Jews. He, they had a hand in it, but Rome killed Jesus. Rome crucified Jesus. That's what the Jews wanted. So Rome crucified Jesus, and crucifixion was for the worst criminals. Rome usually crucified those who opposed Roman authority. Those who were rebellious against Roman authority, they crucified because it left an example to everyone else who would rebel against Roman authority. I want you to look at Roman practice. Number one, I want you to look at Roman practice. Roman practice is when they crucified somebody, they would hang them on a cross and that person was to be left on the cross until their body decayed. And it served as an example to all of the lawbreakers. It would put fear into the hearts of men and women. I mean, can you imagine the Jewish men and women walking by thousands of people or hundreds of people being crucified and little boys and little girls holding the hands of their parents and, and, and those parents had to explain to their children what the Roman authority was doing to their own people? It served as an example that if you rebelled against Rome, they would do the same thing that you see. They would crucify you. And Rome would leave your body on a cross until, the, until your body would decay. Until Josephus said crows would come and pick at the dead flesh on the body. It was a common practice 
for Rome to leave bodies on crosses and for the crows and the vouchers to eat the flesh from the body. The stink and the smell was a horrible sight to those who passed by, but it was an example to everyone that if you raised up against Rome, they would crucify you. If you rebelled against them, if you didn't submit to authority, they would crucify you in the most horrible, horrendous way. That was Roman practice. Roman practice is that they left your body on the cross so that it could decay. Jewish practice is this. Any Jew sentenced to death by the Sanhedrin was not to be buried in a sepulcher with their fathers or anybody that was related to them, but the Jews would bury their dead outside of the city in a separate grave. So the Jewish practice was they even buried their enemies. If you, if you was an enemy of the, uh, uh, if, they, if you was an enemy, they still would bury you. But you would not be buried with your family. You would not be buried in a sepulcher. You, your body was be taken outside of the city and it was thrown into a large grave with many bodies. They threw their criminals together in a large grave, an open grave. So you have Roman practice. Roman practice is that their body would decay on the cross. But Jewish practice is they would take your body down and throw it in an open grave outside of the city. And you were not to be buried in a sepulcher. And you were not to be buried with your family if you was an enemy. They threw you in an open grave. But you see, as we come to the story this morning, Jesus don't fit either one of these. He doesn't fit Roman practice, and he doesn't fit Jewish practice. Jesus' body wasn't left on the cross for vouchers to eat his body. The Jews never took his body down and threw it in an open grave. His disciples was nowhere to be found. Nobody was there. Just a couple women and his brother John, and the Bible says Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus came along. Just a few people. Jesus doesn't fit the Roman practice because his body was taken down. And number two, Jesus don't fit the Jewish practice because his body was not thrown in an open grave, but his body was put in a sepulcher, a rich man's tomb. So where is it, ladies and gentlemen? Where is the confusion? Jesus is a Jew, number one, and he was the enemy of Roman authority. But his body wasn't left on the cross and nor was his body thrown in an open grave. But the Bible tells us something significant in Matthew chapter 27. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. Let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 27. Listen to these words. Matthew 27 and verse number 57. Now when the evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself also became a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded that the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, which was hewed out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb, and he departed. And then you see Mary Magdalene was also there. So the Bible tells us that this man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and begged for the body of Jesus. One translation said he earnestly begged for the body of Jesus. And in this scripture, Pilate does not refute it. Pilate doesn't shake his head and say, you know, I don't know what to do because our custom is to leave dead bodies on crosses. You don't see Pilate saying that. 
you almost see Pilate quickly saying and giving permission to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea asks for the body and Pilate releases the body of a condemned criminal. He releases a body of a, a condemned criminal and then he releases it to somebody that's not related to him. Now do you see what's going on here? Pilate is releasing the body of a condemned criminal. Number one. And number two, he's releasing the body to somebody that's not a relative. Joseph of Arimathea is not a relative. If anybody is going to beg for the body, it should have been his mother. If anybody should have begged for his body, it should have been John, the one that laid his head on his breast. If anybody should have begged for his body, where is Peter? Peter was forgiven much. Where is he? He should have been there begging for his body. But out of nowhere, this man shows up in the story and begs for the body of Jesus. His disciples are not there. His mother's not begging for the body. But yet Pilate is releasing the body of a condemned criminal and releasing it to a man that's not even a relative. This is highly unusual for a Roman leader as of Pilate to do. Pilate isn't crazy. Why would Pilate do that? It could be that Pilate released the body of Jesus because it's Passover. And he knew the Jews were getting ready to celebrate Passover and he didn't want a Jewish man a dead body hanging on the cross it could be it could be that Pilate released the body of Jesus because Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin a religious council maybe Joseph had influence but why did Pilate release the body of Jesus is it Passover is it because Joseph of Arimathea is a council member of the Sanhedrin? I don't think so. And that could be a, a part in it. But do you remember the story where Pilate washed his hands and said what? I find no fault with this man. I believe that Pilate released the body of Jesus to Joseph of Arimathea because secretly Pilate knew that Jesus had no fault. He did nothing wrong, but to appease the Jews, he handed his body to be crucified. The least Pilate could do was to give this man he thought had no fault an honorable burial. Pilate released the body, released it to Joseph of Arimathea. Did you get what the scripture said in Matthew 27? The Bible says in Matthew 27, 57, that when the evening had come, a rich man, somebody say a rich man. So is Joseph of Arimathea rich? Yes, he is rich. And the Bible says in verse 60 of the same chapter, he had his new tomb. So Joseph of Arimathea had wealth even to the point that he had his own tomb that nobody had ever laid in. So we see two facts about this man. Number, man. number one, this man is rich. And number two, this man had his own tomb. He had his own tomb. Verse number 60, look at it. Verse number 60, And laid him in a new tomb, which he had hewed out of a rock and rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb. So Joseph of Arimathea is not only rich, 
But Joseph of Arimathea had a new tomb that nobody's ever laid in. You have to be a rich man to have your own tomb that you hewed out of the rock. I mean, that took some time and effort. So here is Joseph of Arimathea. He's rich. Somebody say he's rich. Now, I want you to see this other scripture. Don't turn there for the sake of time. See it behind me. Mark chapter 15. All four Gospels tells us something about this man, Joseph. Mark chapter 15, verse number 43. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming, taking courage, went to Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Now, I love that scripture, Sister Kathy, because the Bible says not only is he rich, but the Bible says he's a prominent council member. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. And the Bible says he took courage or he was taking courage. Have you ever had to talk to somebody that you didn't want to talk to or you were afraid to talk to? And you got really nervous and you, you, you know, your stomach kind of hurt because you was nervous. You didn't want to talk to him. Well, that's how Joseph felt. Joseph had to work up the courage to go to Pilate and ask him for the body of Jesus. He took courage. The Greek verb tense is he was taking courage. He's working himself up to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Let me just stop here and preach a little bit. God moves on those who can get enough strength and enough tenacity to take courage to do the right thing. Somebody say amen. He took courage. He took courage, went and asked for the body of Jesus. Now look at this scripture. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we're looking at some things about Joseph of Arimathea. Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Luke chapter 23 and verse 50, look at this. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, and had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth, laid it in a tomb that was hewed out of the rock, which no one had ever been laid. Are you listening to this preacher this morning? Do you see what the Bible is saying about this man? All of these scriptures are saying that Joseph took his body down. And the Bible in all of these scriptures is telling us something different about this man. Number one, this man is rich. Number two, this man had his own tomb. Number three, this man is a prominent council member. Number four, this man is waiting for the kingdom of God. Number five, this man is taking courage. Number six, this man is good and just. And number seven, this man opposed the decision to kill Jesus. This is a good man. I don't know about you, but Joseph of Arimathea is a godly man. He's a man that God is getting ready to use. And all of a sudden, you turn to another passage and you read about Joseph of Arimathea, but then this is different. Joseph of Arimathea had a little help from his brother from another mother. Are you ready for this? Joseph didn't do it by himself. He had somebody helping him. All right, now look at it. We just read it in John chapter... I want everybody to look at this. This is interesting. John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse number 38. John chapter 19, verse 38. Now get this. John chapter 19, verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, get this, being a disciple of Jesus, but this is another clue about Joseph. He's a secret disciple. 
Did you see that? This is another clue about Joseph of Arimathea. He secretly, for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, somebody say that's his other brother. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, this is the man that Jesus told, you must be born. Is that right? And Nicodemus at first came to Jesus by night. Who, what was he doing? Bringing the mixture of myrrh, about a hundred pounds. Then look at verse number 40. Somebody shout, they took the body of Jesus, bound it in stripes of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a new tomb which nobody had been laid, and they laid the body of Jesus. All throughout the scriptures I read to you that Joseph was rich, he had his own tomb, he was waiting on the kingdom of God, he's a prominent council member, he's taking courage to go to Pilate, he's good, he's just, he opposed the death of Jesus, and finally, Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple of Jesus. Not only a disciple, but he's a secret disciple of Jesus. And right there in John 19, he has somebody helping him, and his name is Nicodemus. Joseph had a conversation with Nick. He said, Nick, if you can get the spices, I'll provide a tomb, and we'll both bury this man. And Nicodemus is like, you know what? I heard that man a few years ago tell me that you must be born again. That you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. But you see, they didn't understand what was going on. Joseph of Arimathea begged for his body. Nicodemus brought the spices and the myrrh and the cloth. They took his bloody, bruised body down off of the cross. And can you just imagine... Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They took his body down and usually what the Jews would do, they would wash the body. They took that naked body and they began to wash it. And then after they washed it, Nicodemus took his hundred pounds of spices and rubbed it all over his body. And they both together took linen strips and, and, and wrapped his arms and wrapped his legs and wrapped his head each they begin to wrap it I don't know about you but I'm sure that was an emotional sight for them because here is this man who they found no fault in who is this man who was condemned to die on a criminal's cross but yet had no sin and they themselves had the opportunity to wash his body put spices on it and lay it in a new tomb. Isaiah 53 verse 9, the prophet echoes this. Isaiah 53 verse 9, and I quote, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Did you see that scripture? He died as a criminal, but Isaiah said in his death, I'm going to make sure that he's honored at his death as a rich man. Hallelujah. I went to Israel a few years ago. And, um, you know, obviously I got to see uh, uh, the sepulcher. I've got to see Golgotha, the place of the skull. And if you're standing there, it really does look like a skull. It, 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 just like the Bible says. 
And, um, and there had a, they had another place, they had two different places where you could go to see it. And we're not sure which one it is, but they say it's one of them. And uh, I went up to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and as I walked in, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were there. I mean, you couldn't hardly walk because uh, uh, of the people that were taking pictures. And as I began to walk up the so-called hill to see where the cross was, they, they, it was overladen with gold and people were taking pictures of it. Of course, I was taking pictures of it, and, and, and it was very fascinating and interesting. But as I was coming down off of the, the kind of the hill, walking down, and I come around the side, there was a marble slab that was laying there that they say they laid his body, that Joseph of Arimathea laid his body and wrapped his body in linen cloth. And as I come down there, I saw a woman with a camera around her shoulders. And she had her face head down upon the marble slab. And I stood there with my camera taking a picture of her because her face was all the way down on the marble slab and her shoulders were moving up and down as she was crying. And she took her hand and she moved across the marble slab. Just then, my heart was pierced because I don't know if they laid his body there. It really doesn't matter. But it proves to us that there are thousands upon millions of people around the world that long to touch the body of Jesus. They long to come in contact with something that belonged to Him. They, that's why thousands of people flock the Holy Land, because they want some kind of contact with the Savior of the world. But ladies and gentlemen, that's all good and fine. But I want to tell you, He's no longer on a cross. He's no longer in a grave any longer. The Bible says He lives in the inside of you. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Let me tell you something. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the 12 disciples, his mother and Mary Magdalene, they didn't understand the significance of what was going on. Jesus had walked with them for three and a half years and Jesus said words like this. Matthew 12 verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Did Jesus not say that to His disciples? Jesus said in John chapter 2, verse 19, You destroyed this temple, but in three days I will raise it up again. You see, these disciples did not anticipate a resurrection. Oh, you all are too Christianized, too Americanized. These were 12 disciples, Jewish disciples, who worshipped the God of Israel. They did not understand the implications of who Jesus truly was. Do you know why I know they didn't know? How do I know they didn't really anticipate a resurrection? Because... They anticipated the corpse to decay and return to dust. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in John or Luke chapter 24, look at it. Luke chapter 24, it's behind me. Luke 24 and verse number 1. Look at the wording here. They didn't anticipate a resurrection. Luke 24 verse 1, look at it. Now on the first day of the week was early in the morning... 
they came certain women with them. They came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb. They Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. The disciples, his own mother, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, they did not anticipate a resurrection. How do I know? Because early on Sunday morning, they were bringing spices to anoint his body again, to wrap his body again. They wasn't thinking he was going to rise from the grave. They was ready to anoint his body again on the third day. They was expecting the corpse to die. They was expecting Jesus to go back to the dust from whence he came. But let me tell you something. When the women came that morning... They didn't find a dead corpse. They found a risen Savior with healing in His wings. They anointed His body because they was expecting His body to rot in the grave. Hallelujah. Some of you think that Jesus is going to fail and some of you think Jesus is late and some of you think that God has forgotten about you. It may be the third day, but you're going to be just like the women. You're going to be surprised at what God is getting ready to do. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Peter said it like this, prophetically speaking of Christ, for you will not leave his soul in Hades, nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. In other words, Peter is like, God is not going to allow his body to decay in the tomb. His body is not going to go back to the dust. As a matter of fact, the Spirit of God is going to resurrect that dead corpse and bring it back to life again as a witness to the world that Jesus is just not a man, but he is God in human flesh. Oh, hallelujah. Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus. Nicodemus brought a hundred pounds of spices, but what these two men didn't know was that it was just a temporary hotel over the weekend. It was just temporary perfume for the weekend. He just had to borrow temporary clothes for the weekend because on Sunday he was going to demonstrate to the world there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Hallelujah. The body of Christ. Hallelujah. Somebody lift your hands and say, thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Number two, and I'm almost closed. The burial of Christ. The burial of Christ. Number two. You see, it didn't follow Roman custom. His body never decayed on the cross. Number two, it didn't follow Jewish custom because they didn't throw it in an open grave. God intervened in the story and preserved the body of Christ. Now, some of us live in hyper-Christianity where we think the body don't matter. It's a form of Gnosticism in the early Christianity. The body does matter. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You can't be jacking your body up and doing everything you want to your body. It's my body. It ain't your body. It belongs to the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Well, that's another sermon. I better just preach it because y'all don't want me to get on that. 
Come on, y'all don't want me to preach about that. So everybody just say, preach on preacher. So number one, they laid his body in a costly tomb. Costly tomb. A costly tomb. Number one, a costly tomb because Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. A rich man who had his own tomb. And after Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took his body from the cross, washed it and put spices and linen cloth on it, the Bible says they put it in a tomb. But it was Joseph's tomb. It was a costly tomb. It was a rich man's tomb. Now let me just stop here and say this. Jesus never lived in a palace. Never lived in a palace. He had to borrow boats to preach from. He never had a pillow to lay his head at night. Jesus. Jesus who had to borrow a little boy's lunch to feed 5,000. Jesus had nothing. And yet, when he died, they mocked him. They spit on him. They beat him. They betrayed him. But in his death, God said, you may have disrespected my son when he was alive, but in his burial, he's going to be buried like a rich man. He's going to be buried like a rich man. You've rejected his body. You've rejected his teaching. You've mocked on him. You spit on him and you beat him. His disciples have forsaken him. But I'm so glad God said I'm going to honor the body of my son and put it in a rich man's tomb. What are you saying, preacher? If Joseph of Arimathea made a place for the dead body of Jesus, how much more should you make a place for the risen Jesus? If Joseph of Arimathea... Hallelujah. Can I just take this off this morning? Hallelujah. If Joseph of Arimathea made a place for the dead body of Jesus, then how much more should you make a place for the risen Savior? You see, Joseph used his wealth. He used his influence as a platform for Jesus. Are you using your wealth? Are you using your platform and influence for Jesus? Or is it all about yourself? Joseph of Arimathea serves us as an example that you can use whatever you have for Jesus. And that's what Joseph did. He used his tomb. He used his wealth. He used his influence to Pilate. He made a place for the dead body of Jesus. And if he makes a, dead, a place for the dead body of Jesus, how much more should you make a place for the risen Jesus in your life? It was a costly tomb. It was a borrowed tomb. He only needed it for three days. Jesus was crucified, but Jesus had no sin. And do you know why it was borrowed? Because everything else was borrowed. The boat in which he preached from was borrowed. The pillar that he had to use was borrowed. The lunch that he had to get from the little boy was borrowed. Am I right about it? The stable 
in which he was born was borrowed from the innkeeper. Everything Jesus owned was borrowed because Jesus was just passing through. Do you know why it was borrowed? Because he borrowed the tomb because he borrowed your sin. He borrowed the sin of the alcoholic. He borrowed the sin of the drug addict. He borrowed the sin of the pornographer. He borrowed it because he was going to leave it in the tomb. He was going to leave it there. You see, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took his body and wrapped it with cloth. I can't help but to see, I can't help but to see an, an image in the Garden of, of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned and God made a sacrifice and clothed them with the skin of animals. God did for Jesus what he did for the first Adam. The first Adam sinned, so God clothed him. Jesus had no sin, but he borrowed your sin, and he clothed him, representing the sin of the world. He wrapped his body, put cloth on it, put it in a borrowed tomb. They didn't realize that he was only going to stay there a few days. Hallelujah. Lastly and in closing, it was an empty tomb. Whoa, isn't that amazing? Jesus comes to a virgin womb, and he comes to a virgin tomb. The womb of Mary had never had a child, neither had the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Even the donkey sat on, nobody had ever sat on it, because it was reserved. The King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, now they wrapped his body in cloth with spices, laid a napkin on top of his head. Now we all have heard of the Shroud of Torin, where it's in a museum somewhere and speculation of whether it's the actual thing of Jesus. I don't think so. But we're not here to debate that. But we do know that there was cloth that was wrapped in his body. Now, there's many different speculations of why there was cloth, why they did that, but a part of the burial process would be that they wrapped people's bodies. It was like a form of embalming. It was, would preserve the body longer. You see, Mary didn't anticipate Jesus being resurrected. Jesus was in the garden, and Mary suspected that he was a gardener. She was thrown off by the empty tomb. But you see, the Easter story shows us that the cross of Jesus is just the beginning place. They took his body and put it in a costly tomb because Joseph used what he got. He used what he had to preserve the body of Christ and we should make a place for the risen Savior. It shows us that it was borrowed because he wasn't going to stay there, but it's empty, but in the tomb, something was left behind. It was the cloth that they wrapped his body. Why did they leave the cloth there? Why did Jesus leave the cloth there when Mary and the disciples went in and they saw the cloth there? Why? Because the cloth, clothing, God clothed the first man because of sin. 
clothing is a result of sin. Because when God made Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed. But they had to be clothed because of the sinful nature, the Adamic nature. They had to be clothed. God clothed His Son because that clothing represented your sin. But the Easter story teaches us that Jesus got up, walked out of the tomb, and He left behind the cloth in the tomb. You know what Jesus is saying to us today? I've left your sin in the tomb. I've left it behind. It's no longer going to bind you up. He told Lazarus, loose that man and let him go. Leave the grave clothes behind. Leave your sin behind and walk out in the newness of life. And that is why Paul said, we are buried with him in baptism. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when you put to death your sinful nature, you leave past your claws of sin and you're resurrected in newness of life. Leave the cloth in the tomb. You know, when Mary went to the tomb, she saw the cloth and it showed that he was really alive. He really kept his word. But if I could talk to Mary today, I would say, Mary, the cloth does represent his resurrection, but it represents your sin. Because every time you look at that cloth, he left it behind to tell you that your sin doesn't have to control you. You may be sin prone, but you're not sin committed. You don't have to walk in sin or walk in newness of life. Paul said the gospel is his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's rethink the story. Let's rethink the burial of our Lord. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord today?